early on in Genesis, we learn about two things. We learn about creation. The Bible opens with the story of creation. And then very shortly, we segue into the story of sin and how sin entered the world. We learn about how things were intended to be. And as you look through the creation story and you see how God you know, just was creating and there was this rhythm of creation as he stated that everything was good and it was good and it was good. And then something went wrong. Something went wrong in the world, in paradise, as it were. We were created as the image of God upon the earth. We were made to have a relationship with God, submitted to him, but something went wrong. What was it? Adam and Eve sinned. They did what was commanded to them not to be done. What was their sin? They obeyed, disobeyed God's command. But what was, the, what was the temptation? Satan tempted them by telling them that in the day that they ate of the tree, that they would be like God. This was the temptation. It is interesting that God made us, he made Adam as his son. In fact, in the genealogies of Christ, the one that, that goes all the way back to Adam, it says that Adam was a, a son of God. He was a son of God. But when man disobeyed God and went away from God, there was this break in that relationship. And so really, the Lord entered into his plan of redemption that would make it possible for each and every person to become a son of God. Not born the first time as a son of God, but born the second time as a son of God. Because this is the way that John puts it to, to everyone who received him. He gave them the right to be what? To become the children of God, to be a son of God. And so it's the redemption plan of God that brings us back to that rightful place, that, that, that original place that God had intended. And it is a plan you know, and, and you've heard it before and it needs to be stated, you know, so that we get, we understand this, that God's plan of salvation, his plan of redemption was not plan B. It wasn't like, oh, we put man and Adam and Eve in the garden and oh, they, they disobeyed me and now I've got to come up with a plan of salvation. No, we're told in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, uh, the verses, chapter 13, verse eight, I'll throw it up on the screen for you so you can look at it. It says this, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, talking about the beast in this particular chapter, the, the antichrist, if you will, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from when? From the foundation of the world. This is God's plan. God is going to redeem the lost, those that have fallen out of that proper relationship with him, those that respond to his plan, those that hear the call, answer the call that he is sending out across the earth even right now as we're meeting. God is going to bring back all things back to their perfect order. He's going to deal with every sin and blow it off the face of the earth. In our chapter tonight, we'll see God's plan. It's a plan of redemption. We'll see it as Joseph kind of works a plan. 
Joseph works a plan with his brothers. If you, know, if you notice, if you've been paying attention, if you've been following along in our study, you know, Joseph could have let his brothers known, like right away, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. But he's working this plan, and we're gonna see that plan play out a little bit more tonight in the things that Joseph does. And we'll see that as Joseph had a plan to bring his brothers along and, and eventually reveal himself to them, that God has that same plan. He has a similar plan. It's a similar plan of salvation and redemption and that we would, he would be revealed to us and that we would be brought in to right relationship with him, reconciled to him, amen? And so God is working his plan. And it's kind of a, it, his plan is really a continuum because God's gotta bring people from a totally lost, dead state it's been said, you know, God's, you know, God isn't trying to make, you know, he's not trying to put a Band-Aid on our situation. He's literally in the business of bringing dead people to life in his name. And so he's going to bring dead people out of death and darkness into light and to life. And so, but there's a continuum to it because he comes into our life, he draws us to himself, and then that salvation, that redemption takes place. And so we're going to see that process of God's redemption plan tonight through this chapter that deals really with Joseph's plan of continuing to bring his brothers to that point where he's going to reveal himself to them. The redemption plan of God starts with conviction. He wants us to, he wants us to be convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at this chapter tonight, chapter 44 of Genesis. Let's pick it up in verse one. It says this, and he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put the, my cup, the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as morning dawned, they, the men were sent on their way, they and their donkeys. And while they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you have over, overtaken them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched, and he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. 
The redemption plan of God, it starts the continuum, really, of bringing us to that place of redemption and salvation. It starts with conviction. It starts with us being brought under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Here we see that Joseph has a test. He's got a test. He's kind of testing them. He's already sent the money back with them from their first trip. They came down. The famine was severe in Canaan and across the earth. And so the, the, the sons of Israel had come down and bought grain. And of course, remember that the, their money was put back in their sacks. And they were troubled by this. Like, well, what do we do? Anyways, you remember that they brought back their money, that money that was given back, and more money and a gift. So, so as to not appear to be uh, dishonest men, thieves, or so on. So now you have this chapter where Joseph is kind of setting them, them up for a test. He's going to bring them through this continuum, if you will. It involved silver. Joseph had their silver returned to them in their sacks. Remember that it was for silver that they had sold Joseph. And now Joseph has his steward put not only their silver back in their sacks, but his silver cup, the cup, his cup, the one that he would drink from and that he would talk about practicing divination. We'll get into that a little bit later. But anyways, he has this silver cup put into Benjamin's cup, into, into Benjamin's bag, into his, his uh, sack of grain. Now the purpose you know, becomes clear because He's going to bring about this continuum. He's going to draw out from them this confession. And we'll get to it in our second point. But it's really this confession of we're, we're, we're guilty. You know, we're, we're undone. We're guilty. There's nothing else we can say. But, the, but it starts with conviction. And so uh, there's this process. Um, the, the question that would go to them um, was, why have you repaid good for evil. And so, and then you have done this wicked thing. So this this idea of bringing that to bear upon their hearts. Why would you repay good for evil? And why would you do this wicked thing? And so this was the test. The test is to see if there is any change in the brothers. After all these years, and after they had sold him into slavery and let him be, be, uh, be a servant and end up in the prison of Egypt and the, all of it, is there any change in their hearts? Is there anything that would convict them? Um, and so this, this was the purpose that we're going to see. So what does Joseph do? Again, he has their silver put back in their sacks and his silver cup put into the sack of his younger brother, Benjamin. And then he gives his instruction. He gives his instruction to his steward. His steward, right? And it's interesting because you see the steward of Joseph and you see the, the servant of Abraham and, 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 and they're, they're kind of types of the Holy Spirit, really. You have this uh, servant, the steward of Joseph. And here's the instruction, Genesis 44, verse 4. I'll have it on your screen. You're looking on, on your own text there. But it says this, when they had gone out of the city and they were not afar off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? So what does Joseph do? He sends his steward out after them to what? To ask them a question. To ask them a question. Why would you do, why, we've been good to you, why would you repay it with evil? Why would you do a wicked thing? So the steward sent out with the question, 
to bring conviction, right? And it's the same thing that Jesus does in, in bringing us to him. He sends out his Holy Spirit. He sends out the Holy Spirit to, to follow up on us, to work up on us, to bring about a conviction in us that we might come to that place of owning our own guilt and realizing that there's nowhere else to turn and that we need Jesus, we need a savior. Because really, when you get to the end of yourself and you get to the end of your own situation, the only conclusion that you should come to is that there is nowhere to go. There is nothing, there's no one that can solve your problem for you. Your ultimate problem is that you're dead in your trespasses and sins without Christ. And unless you come to the person that can do something about that, you're still in your sins, you're still in your trouble. You still have your greatest need. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord sends out the Holy Spirit to do a specific job. He's got a specific job description. And we find this job description, Jesus tells us about. The job description of the Holy Spirit, right? In John chapter 16, verse 7. If you want to turn there with me, you can. But yes, I do have it on the screen for you. Amen? Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So God sends his Holy Spirit, the helper. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away because the helper is going to come into the world. The helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, right? The paraclete, yeah, that's the word in the Greek. It's para meaning by, cleat, called, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one who's called alongside of you to do what? To convict you. He's got a job to do, and that's to convict you of the sin that's in your heart. And so the Holy Spirit is working. Amen? He's working across the earth right now. The Holy Spirit, there's a work of the Holy Spirit, and he's coming alongside people. He's the paraclete. He's coming alongside to convict the world of sin. And... We need to, here's what we need. The best thing you can do with the Holy Spirit is let him do his job. (laughs) Amen. You know that whole thing? Do your job. Do your job. Would you just do, if you would do your job, everything would be great. Okay. You ever hear your boss tell you that? Well, hopefully you don't hear your boss telling you that. Hopefully you're doing your job. Right? Do your job. There's a greater thing than that, than you do in your job, letting the Holy Spirit do his job. In fact, there's a sin, it's talked about in the Bible, it's spoken of as the unforgivable sin. You ever hear about this? What is the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin? People wonder, wonder is it, did I, oops, did I, did I just do that? Did I just commit the unpardonable sin? Am I damned forever? To be, to be separated from God? Did I say something accidentally? If you're worried about whether you've committed the unpardonable sin, chances are you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Amen? Thank God. Thank God. The, the, the unpardonable sin 
is to resist, is, to, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's literally resisting the Spirit and not allowing. What is it? It's not allowing him to do his job. He's got a job to do, the Holy Spirit, with you, and that's to, to bring conviction upon you to, to, to bring a, a place, to bring you to a place of you having be, being in, under a conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not, this is not condemnation. This is not condemnation. Jesus didn't come into the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send the Holy Spirit to condemn people. He came to convict. And there's a difference. And I, usually, I like to say it like this. Convict is to convince. To convict you of sin is to convince you of sin. The problem that people have is they're not under conviction because they're not convinced. They're not convinced that they have sinned against a holy God. And so what does the Holy Spirit need to do? He's out there working, doing his job to, to convict you, to convince you that you have sinned, that you've fallen short of the glory, that you need a savior, that you've got a big problem. But there's somebody that's done something about it, and you only need to realize what, you, what, what has happened in your life, what you've done, and to receive and be, become a part of the redemption plan of Christ in your life. So, do not commit the unpardonable sin. Do not blaspheme the, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Do not stop the Holy Spirit from doing his job. Amen? A lot of people today, and it's crazy, and, and you, you think, you ask these questions today, well, is, is the world more evil today than it's ever been? And, you know, I, I usually like to answer the question like, no, it's not. I mean, it's, it, was, it, was, it got evil really quick. I mean, it, you know, it got evil so quick that, you know, by the, by, the sixth, by the seventh chapter of the book, right, God's already deciding, look, I'm sending a deluge. We're going to just start it. We're just going to wipe this thing clean, okay? Okay, that's how quick it got bad. Um, but you know, there, there is an issue that I see today is that people are really, you know, there, there is this marker of kind of an end times problem where, where good is called evil and evil is called good. And if you're paying attention, this is what we're seeing right now. This is what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing where evil is being called good and defended as good literally defended as good and good is being called evil and 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 this is the problem and so the holy spirit's got a lot of work to do amen yes. the key is let him do his job let him do his job with you and that's to bring you to that place of being convinced convinced that you're undone so this is what is happening here so uh he sends his steward to bring this conviction, to ask this question. Why have you repaid good for evil? So each of the brothers um, were convinced that they were innocent, and they said, with whomever of your servants the cup is found, let him die, and we also will be your slaves. So whoever has it, let him die, and the rest of us will be your slaves. We are just, we're innocent. We are innocent. We're good people. We're good people. You see, and this is basically, you know, th this is a question. Are, are people basically good or basically bad, right? This is, this is a good question. 
So, oh no, I've wandered off into like, you know, now I've got to answer that question. Okay, are people basically good? The pro- the, we're, we're basically not good. We're, we, we have a fundamental problem that we've fallen short of the glory and yes, we can do good things. Yes, we can adhere to some moral code. Yes, okay, so no one's denying that. Um, but we do have a fundamental problem and that fundamental problem is has separated man from their creator and placed them in a place of spiritual death. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to that place where we're not trying to, to say, look, we're good, check our bags. We're, we're, we're fine. Look, look, look just, just, just check the bags. And this is the attitude that you have a lot in the world today. So they each let down their bags. Stuart looked at each bag, beginning from the oldest, working his way all the way down to the youngest. We talked about the seeding order last week, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that wild? Like, you know, where, where Joseph has them all sat at the dinner in, in order of their birth. And, and so it's like, and they're sitting there going, this is spooky. This is weird. What is this guy? Who is this guy, right? And, and here the steward comes out. And, and he kind of does the same thing. He goes from the oldest to the youngest. He gets all the way to Benj- Benjamin. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So, so there's the process of bringing conviction. So the steward goes out to bring conviction. He finds the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. The next stage, the next step in the process of God's redemption plan is going from conviction to repentance. Let's pick it up, verse 14 in Genesis 44. It says this, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And then Judah said, what shall we say to to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also whom with the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. So the process, the continuum of God's plan, goes. you go from conviction to repentance. The brothers came back to Joseph's house and fell before him on the ground. The brothers were now throwing themselves on the ground. <laughs> just throwing themselves, kind of like throwing yourself at the mercy of the court, right? You know, you've, you've heard that term. You just go in there, humble yourself, throw yourself at the mercy. You can, that's a good call most of the time. <laughs> Especially you kids. Any kids in here? Yeah. Anybody in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody here? It's a good call. Throw yourself at the mercy, you can get a lot further than trying to talk yourself out of it, unless you're really good. But, you know, you, the, the whole point of this is we're not good. We're not good at, 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 at you're, you're not going to be able to talk your way out of this one with the Lord. Amen? So they're throwing themselves at the mercy of Joseph. And at, that, at this point, they're broken. At this point, they're broken before him. And Joseph said to them, what have you done? Did you not know that I could certainly... 
practice divination. Now, this is, a, this is a question that a lot of people have. Now, wait a second. I thought Joseph was a God-fearing person and all this, and we've been talking about how he's a type of Christ, and, and here we are. He's, he's practicing divination. Is this true? And I think it's interesting how it's worded. Did you not know that I could? That I could practice divination? I, I, I read some of the commentaries that said Joseph probably did not actually use divination in discovering the tre treachery. Of course, he set this whole thing up. He set the test up, amen? So he didn't even really need to use divination. So he's throwing them out there, bring, bringing them through this whole process. And Judah steps up. You have all the, all the brothers falling on their faces, throwing themselves at the mercy of Joseph, and Judah steps up as the spokesman, and he confesses. And... He says, look, we're, we're, we're your slaves. And I, and, and I want to just move forward to uh, verse 16 there. Just throw um, Genesis 44, verse 16. This is the right response to the, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Okay, so this is, this is Judah testifying. He's saying, look, we've come to the end. There's nothing more we can say. There's nothing, there's no other way. We, there's nothing we can say that we can clear ourselves. God has found us out. God has found out our iniquity. He's uncovered it. And this is an incredible place. You say, you think to yourself, this may actually look to the world, to the person, to the carnal person, just describing this scenario, if I'm just describing this scenario to a carnal person and say, well, that's weak. You don't do that. You know, you try to talk yourself out of it, you get out of it, you move on. Even with the Lord, th th this is a great place to be. <laughs> Being under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and, and, and casting yourself at the mercy of, the, of God's court because he's a, he's, a merciful, he's a merciful God, and he's done something about In fact, he took the punishment. He, the chastisement of your peace and your freedom was, was placed upon his son. So it's, it's, it, it, it may look like weakness, but it's actually a good place to be because this is where you're going to find salvation. This is where you're going to find forgiveness. This is where you're going to find what you need. Their hearts are changed. Now, I want you to think back. I want you to go back in time with me real quick. From this moment of verse 16 to the moment that they're putting Joseph in that pit. And they want to do him in and they want to kill him. And, they want to, and then, the, and then the, the Bedouins came by, right? And they sold him. Fast forward all these years to this moment in time, verse 16. And you have Judah stepping up. Look, there's nothing else we can say. God has found us out. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. So this is the design. This is, this is, this is, this is the look. This is the look of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Bringing us to that place of, of, of also being able to say, our, our, I've been uncovered, I'm undone. I'm undone. You know, again, it's not a bad place to be with the Lord. Just to be able to confess that. I'm, I'm undone, Lord. 
I'm guilty. I'm unable to, to clear myself. It's kind of like, you know, we're going in before the court, God's court, right? And the best thing you can do is go in there and plead guilty. You know? You know, you have an arraignment, right? You have the arraignment. Are you, are you aware of all the charges brought against you? Do you understand them? Have you taken any aspirins this morning that would impair your ability to understand the charges against you? No. How do you plead? Guilty. Guilty, Your Honor. But just when you have said that, we realize that we have a, a defense attorney that steps in and says, wait, 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 wait just a minute, Your Honor. I know he said he was guilty, but we're entering a new plea. Not guilty. Because I've taken the punishment. I've taken all the guilt and shame. Yes. I've taken it upon myself. And, I, and we're going to let him go free because he's come to that place of owning his situation. And that's, that's the gospel right there. I mean, that's, that's what we have been offered by God. So it was with Joseph's brothers that they fell upon their face before, before Joseph. We need to repent of our sins. We need to come clean before God. God is working on us. You know, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, this process sounds like, you know, God is working some type of a thing where he's, you know, he, that he wants to be hard on people and he's bringing about, he's exacting of a revenge. You've sinned against me and I'm going to walk you through this. No, he's not working revenge. If he wanted to work revenge upon you, he could smoke you out and, a New York second. And that's faster than a Melbourne second. <laughs> a New York second. He's not working. He's not exacting a plan of revenge. He's exacting a plan of redemption in you. And bringing you through this continuum. Conviction. Repentance. To reconciliation. And redemption. Amen. So let's wrap it up by going to that last section, and this is the redemption. Verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father and his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face, or see my face no more. So it was that when we went up to your servant, my father, and that we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. 
Now therefore, when I, I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became sure, surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad and as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? So this is the redemption. Judah goes near to Joseph, and he, and he begins by retelling the whole story. And it's interesting um, the interesting point in the retelling this time is that Judah says that his brother is dead um, before he told Joseph that his brother was no more. And in the Hebrew language, there's a li- little bit of a difference um, that to say someone, to say, to, for him to say he was no more, there was a little bit, it wasn't as, as definitive as, as saying he was uh, dead. And so you have this retelling and he's just, he's just, he's just laying it all out there for Joseph. And what does Ju- uh, Judah do? Judah offers himself in place of the boy. He offers to take Benjamin's place. So now we've d- discussed in this study that, especially when we came upon this section dealing with the story of Joseph, that Joseph is in many ways a type of Christ. And we mentioned how there are more than 100, over 100 parallels between Joseph and the, and the person and the work of Christ. And so, yes, Joseph is a type of Christ. But here we also see Judah taking that position too. Judah is now becoming a type of Christ because he is basically offering himself for, so that his brother can go free. He, he is, so, so Jesus suffers the penalty so that we can go free. So Judah is saying, look, do whatever to me, but let the boy go because I can't, I can't bear this. In this instance, Judah becomes a type of Messiah, becomes a type of Christ. He offers his life in place of, of the boy, and this is what Christ has done on our behalf, he offered his life for ours. He offered his life for yours. You were like Benjamin in this situation. And it is interesting that Judah, that Jesus actually comes from the line of Judah. You know, if you, if you didn't know and you're, you, you weren't studied up and refreshed upon your history a little bit, you might think, oh, well, Joseph is a type of Christ. Well, Jesus came from the line of Joseph. No, uh, Jesus is, comes from the, the lineage of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? right. This, this is what we know. This is why we have the lion, Java Point, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So Judah is really the, tri- the type of Christ in this situation where he offers himself for the life of the boy. And, it, and again, it's Jesus that gave his life for ours. It's through Jesus that we have salvation and, and that we've been redeemed. It's through Jesus that we're reconciled to God. It's through Jesus that we have, have reconciliation with God and true communion with him. 
And this is God's, and this is God's plan all along, right? So this is the, the whole plan is to bring us from conviction to repentance to reconciliation to redemption. Amen? And if you let the Holy Spirit do, do his job, if you let the Holy Spirit do his job in your heart, in your life, this will be what happens in your life. Now, we want to close because we're going to go to the table of the Lord. But I want to close with on one point that I find is interesting. This theme of the silver cup. This kind of, you know, if you're, if you're like me and you look, at, um, you look at the Bible here, you know, which is a piece of literature, right? It's, a, it's, it's divinely inspired. It's God's book, but it's, it's literature. And, and here you have this silver cup. In the Bible, as you study, metals have certain meanings. Metals have meanings. You see, you see this really show up in Exodus when the tabernacle, the design of the tabernacle is given to Moses on the mountain. And you see a lot of different metals being used, right? You see gold, silver, and bronze. The, the gold, gold is used, you see like the Ark of the Covenant. I'll just give you an example. The Ark of the Covenant is made of acacia wood covered with gold. The wood symbolizes the humanity of Christ. The gold symbolizes the divinity. So in the Ark of the Covenant, you have the dual nature of Christ. You have the humanity, you have the divinity as seen in the gold. Skipping past silver, we'll come to bronze. Bronze is a metal that pictures judgment. All of the items that are the places of judgment in the tabernacle complex are made of bronze, right? The articles of the table, the bronze altar. The, 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 the sacrifice was placed upon the bronze altar. The, the sacrifice was tied down to a bronze table. It was a, a table made of acacia wood, but it was covered with bronze. And that's where sin was judged. That's where the judgment came down. And so you have bronze kind of symbolizing the the judgment, right? But what about silver? So is this like an Olympic thing, right? You know, gold, silver, and bronze. Silver is the medal of redemption. Silver is the medal of redemption. You see it throughout the, 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 you had poles, you had boards that actually held up the entire tabernacle and they're actually fitted, the fittings that, that hold the boards, every piece of it together, are made of silver. And it's, it's, a, it's a picture of the redemption of Christ. And here we have the silver cup, Joseph's silver cup, a cup made of silver. And I don't think that, I'm one to believe that like, you know, there's nothing, um, there's nothing, there's no, there's, there's nothing that's inconsequential in the scripture, right? And so we have the silver cup of Joseph this cup that turns out in, in, in the story, you can almost take it as a cup of redemption because the cup is brought back and Judah uh, puts himself in the place of Benjamin and to let Benjamin go free. And it's the, the idea of bringing us back to that place of reconciliation with God, redemption with God. And so we come to the cup of the Lord, the silver cup of the Lord. It's about redemption. It's about that you've been reconciled to God and he's taken your place. And so God's plan all along to bring us from conviction, 
to repentance, to reconciliation, to redemption.